Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Texas, Arizona, the fall classic is here. Now, if you at the start of the season had gone to Bet Online Sportsbook, used our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, and gotten your 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode, you could have gotten the Texas Rangers at plus 5,000 to win the World Series and the Arizona Diamondbacks at plus 6,600 as world champions. Diamondbacks had the 25th best odds. Texas had the 20th best odds. If you want to take a stab at the World Series now, bet online sportsbook, use our promo code BLEAVE to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except of course it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have decided to make time for us however and whenever it is that you may be choosing Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous Wednesday, November 8th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate that you have decided to stop by however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. We are going to take a dip around the NBA today. I have been sitting on some NBA topics all season, and uh, I'm excited to share them with all of you here today on the show. We're going to talk about James Harden and that trade coming up a little bit later, the 76ers aspect of it, and Tyrese Maxey, and obviously all the Clipper angles around it. It's just a very fun conversation and a fun episode that we did with our friend Juju Talk Sports, inviting him in to talk about the James Harden trade. Well, we'll talk about those teams and the Western Conference and all the stuff like that coming up in a little bit. First and foremost, let's just take a dip around the NBA, dip our toes in the water seven games into the season on the NBA, because there's some interesting, interesting stuff going on, while also acknowledging that sample sizes are incredibly small to start the season off right now. So there's some teams that, you know, you might see the record right out the gate, not really sure what to make of it, but have no fear, I am here with the advanced numbers and the nerd stats to back up some of the interesting storylines around the NBA season so far. And we're going to talk about three of the stories that I think are the most interesting so far in the season. I was uh, talking about this over at work because obviously I live out here in Sacramento. And as I've learned now in two years working in radio, you know, basketball is a year round thing. When you live in a town where basketball is the first major professional sport. And so there's so many interesting storylines that you can take away. But at the same time, I don't have the time to watch 
all of the basketball. I'm not a league pass person. I'm not really breaking this stuff down X's and O's wise and all sorts of stuff like that. But what is really interesting thus far is seeing some of the anomalies early in the season, like statistical anomalies that you weren't expecting and might not hold up, but they're just, they're things that are interesting out the gate. And there's three teams that I think are especially, especially interesting. And the first one that I very much want to talk about is our friend Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves, because the Timberwolves are very interesting for a lot of different reasons, not just because talking about the Timberwolves is is an excuse to play this parody song that we made after the Minnesota Timberwolves were standing up on the table and throwing jerseys and hugging hugging family and kissing babies and all the celebration that was going on after they won a play-in game a couple years ago and we serenaded them with this beautiful parody song. Aunt Lajaw score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys. They won't give a damn. They cheer playing games. Like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring, can bring Minnesota down. The Ant Man drives down. D D Lowe's gotta kick. D Lowe's gotta kick it out. The Ant Man's 21. And no, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. Twelve views in the tank. Bed flops like a plank. We got news for you, baby. And Edwards is the man. Two years in the game, and he's a household name. We got news for you, baby. And Edwards is the man. When it comes to Wiggins, they never learned. And then Jimmy Butler left all the kids burned. The only way they get talent is the top of the draft. Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee, the Ant Man's 21. Nah, no, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cat shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant Man, the Ant Man, the Ant Man, the Ant Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant Man. The Ant Man, the Ant Man, the Ant Man, the Ant Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. Twelve years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Fifteen years away. I'm headed to the Hall of Fame. Got news for you, baby. And Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man. I mean, come on, that parody song's so good. It's so good. Takes us back to a, a different time in this podcasting space for us. April of 2022. 
overall a very good time and a very pleasant time in my life, but also a very different time than uh, we were 18 months ago. But yeah, the Timberwolves are interesting. And look, I've been fascinated by the Timberwolves ever since they celebrated like they had just won a championship after winning a play-in game. Like just in general, the whole philosophy of the Timberwolves is interesting because they made it to the playoffs for the first time in you know, or second time in 18 years, traded everything they had for Rudy Gobert, gave all of the money that they had available to Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns is one of like four NBA players to sign the new like Supermax rules post the 2020 or what would that be? 2022 collective bargaining agreement. Like there's just so much that's fascinating about the Timberwolves because they're doing this incredibly unique method of roster construction that most people don't believe in most people are skeptical about them trading every single draft pick they had into perpetuity for rudy gobert and giving 60 plus million dollars a year to carl anthony towns for the next five seasons essentially guaranteeing 300 million dollars over the life of a contract to Carl Anthony Towns, a player who in their last win against the Celtics had a triple single of seven points, seven rebounds, and six fouls. Like, everyone was skeptical of that from the very beginning with the Timberwolves, and yet they're about to fall ass backwards into having the most successful run of basketball they've ever had in their franchise history. Because last season, the Minnesota Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert, and they were trying to put this team together, and we had Ben Beacon come on the show in the summer. He, he covers the Timberwolves, and Ben Beacon talked about how this team was being built for 2024. And I agreed with him from the beginning. I might have led him into that question, but I remember talking about this team was being built for 24. They were going to develop continuity with each other. They were eventually going to see Anthony Edwards go from a second-year player who was learning to play in the NBA to a fourth-year player who they could turn over the offense to and say, go to work. And you look at what Anthony Edwards has done so far this year, 28.2 points, shooting over 50% from the field, 47% from three. Granted, the 47% from three is not going to keep up over the whole season, but this is putting up like top 10 in the league numbers and doing it at an efficiency rating that currently would rank 11th in the NBA. Like Anthony Edwards has been legitimately one of the 15 best players in the NBA so far this season. Granted, small sample size, but you're watching a 22-year-old turn into one of the best players of his generation right in front of our eyes. It's just going to take three years before he becomes the best of his physical abilities. And what's so interesting about Minnesota is that, so last year we talked about how they were building for 2024, and that became especially true when Carl Anthony Towns missed 55 games during the season with a, I think it was a calf injury. Carl Anthony Towns missed 55 games basically the whole season and then returned in March right to gear up for a playoff run. And once this team played as it was meant to be constructed, because they played like seven games together before Carl Anthony Towns missed 55, and then they got about like 18, 19 games as they were meant to be constructed with Towns and Gobert and Jaden McDaniels and uh, Nas Reed. And then they traded for Mike Conley and flipping D'Angelo Russell, and they got an extra draft pick out of it. Minnesota was building towards this 2024 season. But in those last 20 games, when they had the core of the team together, as it was intended to be constructed, after all the jokes about Rudy Gobert 
being one of the worst trades in NBA history. After all the jokes about them giving up every draft pick they had for Rudy Gobert and having a worse record through 60 games than they did without Rudy Gobert. In the final 20 games of the season, the Timberwolves had the number one defensive rating in the NBA. When it was Towns, Gobert, and Jaden McDaniels all starting in the same lineup together, they were the number one defensive rating in the NBA. Fast forward to this season, through seven games, the Minnesota Timber Pups have the number one defensive rating in the NBA. And this is something that was always going to be the case. Having Rudy Gobert, even Rudy Gobert in his 30s, and even Rudy Gobert, who we know is even more of an offensive liability than he was as the best player on the Utah Jazz, averaging 12 points a game and shooting worse from the field than Anthony Edwards is, which is kind of crazy to think about. Having more rebounds per game than points per game from Rudy Gobert. What Rudy Gobert was always going to bring by virtue of being on that team was elite-level defense. By having Rudy Gobert at the center of your offense, again, a Rudy Gobert that is 31 years old, he's on the other side of 30, this is maybe the greatest defensive player in NBA's last 25 years. Rudy Gobert at the center of your defense is going to make you an elite-level defense, especially when you add in Carl Anthony Towns playing defense as a 4 Defending on the perimeter against fours who are often two, three, four, five inches shorter than Carl Anthony Towns. And you have Jaden McDaniels at the three. And by the way, you can alternate Nas Reed in and out of the starting lineup as well, depending on circumstance. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves have so much length. And with Rudy Gobert at the center of everything they do defensively, they were always going to have an elite level defense by putting competent players with length around Rudy Gobert the strategy was foolproof from the defensive end of the floor and you are seeing the results once they got healthy and put the team together as it was originally constructed to be because they didn't panic move when Carl Anthony Towns got hurt they kept it together for 60 games and then they put Carl Anthony Towns back in the lineup and offensively they didn't get that much better for all the talk about Carl Anthony Towns calling himself the greatest shooting big man in NBA history and him playing the four because he didn't want to be a true center and all that stuff, like Carl Anthony Towns inserting into that lineup put was the piece they needed to play elite level defense. And they have played elite level, they have played number one defense in the league ever since Carl Anthony Towns got out there. Now, granted, the flip side of that conversation is any team at the center. With Rudy Gobert, an offensive liability at the center position, and Carl Anthony Towns prone to triple singles and not really getting down low inside and getting points like a big man sometimes needs to do in order for someone his size to average 20-plus points a game in the modern NBA, granted any team with that on the floor was going to trade off something on the offensive end of the floor. And that's where they turn the offense completely over to Anthony Edwards. And that's why it won't be the most efficient offense in the league, but it will be good enough for them to be a top five team in the Western Conference. If they play elite level defense, and if they turn the offense over to Anthony Edwards, who I believe is good enough to by himself carry them to a top 15 offense in the NBA. Currently, they're ranked 15 in the league. Health permitting, they can stay in the top 20. 
The shortcoming is that Anthony Edwards, they go as far as Anthony Edwards takes them, and Anthony Edwards is still not at this point a star NBA player. But if Anthony Edwards is there and Anthony Edwards is putting together the performances that he has started to show at 22 years old, they can be a top 15 offense in the league just by virtue of having a top 15 player and telling that top 15 player to play at the best of his abilities and turn the offense completely over to him Everything they do runs through him. Conley is the facilitator for Anthony Edwards. Him driving, him shooting three-pointers at a 40-plus percent clip and shooting by volume at a higher volume than he has in previous years of his career. I believe they can be a top-half offense in the league, and if they are top-half offense and they play elite-level defense, they'll be a top-four to five seed in the Western Conference. And being a top-four to five seed in the Western Conference for two consecutive seasons this year and next year, while also having made the playoffs each of the last two seasons, yes, losing in the first round, but making the playoffs each of the last two seasons, that would represent the most successful run of basketball in the history of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know that sounds sad, but it would represent four consecutive playoff appearances, two straight trips to the second round, maybe winning 50 games in a season, would represent the most successful run in Minnesota Timberwolves history because they would have surrounded Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert with competence. And those two players, surrounded by competence, is good enough to be a top four to five seed consistently in the Western Conference because Anthony Edwards is 22 years old and eventually will get to a place, maybe while Rudy Gobert is still playing top-level defense, but eventually he'll get to a place where he can be one of the 10 best players five best players, whatever you think of with Devin Booker. That's the direction that Anthony Edwards' career is headed, just like on a four-year track behind where Devin Booker is right now. Like, Anthony Edwards is going to be that dude eventually. The best they can think of while he's 22 and 23 as the roster is presently constructed is play elite-level defense and have an offense good enough to get them a top four or five seed in the West and maybe just maybe win their first playoff series in 20 years. The last two points I wanted to touch on before we get to the James Harden stuff is one, the Memphis Grizzlies are one and six. They are going to get John Morant back in about 20 games. And the thing that should be a pause for hope for Memphis is that they are playing pretty good defense to start the season. They're ranked 13th in defensive rating. Their net rating is down at the bottom of the league. However, their offensive rating is 29th in the league. And if you're going to point to that and say John Morant will take them from 29th to a middle-of-the-road offense just by inserting himself back into that lineup the same way that Anthony Edwards being inserted or taken out of the Timberwolves lineup is the difference between them being 4-2 and two and 2-4, two and four. the same reason the difference between De'Aaron Fox going out of the Sacramento Kings lineup is them being the fourth-ranked offense in the league and them barely cracking 100 points in each of their three games that De'Aaron Fox play, didn't play. Like, if you're saying John Morant is that impactful of a player that you can insert him into the lineup and you will see that offense improvement over the mediocre teams in the league, that's something that should pause and give hope to the Grizzlies that the problem is the offensive side of the ball and that John Morant is kind of the end-all, be-all solution that will get them back. I think that's optimism that the Grizzlies are not going to be one of the worst teams in the West this year. But the flip side to that conversation is like if the Grizzlies play 500 basketball the rest of the season, 
or say they finish uh, playing two games above 500 the rest of the season, which is what they played in the second half of the season last year before John Morant got suspended, then you're looking at a team that is looking at 40 wins, 39 wins, and that puts them in that play-in range. And uh, it's obviously early in the season, but they still have a fourth of the season to go without John Morant. So, you know, if they play 500 the rest of the season, including the games John Morant's not going to be playing, then you're looking at 37, 38 wins. And again, that puts you in that like 9, 10 range, which as long as you get to the play-in, I guess like that's a victory given how this season has the possibility to go completely off the rails for Memphis. But at the same time, I mean, it's not an ideal circumstance to find yourself in. I think they are they're digging themselves out of a hole, but I think inserting John Morant back into the lineup is going to ail a lot of the problems that they've seen to start the season. And the reason why they're like 29th in the league in offensive rating is kind of because they just subtracted their best offensive player and the best offensive player in the league and didn't really add anything else to it. I think having Tyus Jones in there would make them a little bit better on the offensive side of the ball, but also a little bit worse defensively. And the thing that they are doing well so far is they are still playing top of the league defense. The other thing that's interesting, and I'll just touch on this real briefly before we get to the Harden stuff, is yeah, did anyone else have on their bingo card the, the Tyrese Halliburton-led Indiana Pacers being the second-ranked offense in the NBA to start the season? Did not have that in my bingo card. Did not have the team that is just a hodgepodge of guys that were rejects from other places as Rick Carlisle tries to rebuild a team that has been kind of in the middle for about four years and then did a little bit of losing the last couple years and missed the playoffs and all that stuff. Didn't expect that they'd jump out and uh, with Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin. Did not expect the Pacers to have the number two offensive rating in the league and for Tyrese Halliburton to be putting up like MVP level numbers from the point guard position, leading the league in assists by like two whole assists and 20 points. But they've also lost a game by 41 to the Celtics. It's all very confusing and very interesting, but I don't think anyone had on their bingo card second ranked offense in the NBA. Tyrese Halliburton's Indiana Pacers better than anyone in the league non-Boston Celtics category which is just kind of baffling just baffling that the only better offense in the entire league after Boston is the Indiana Pacers good on them don't know if it'll last but something to note they have been impeccable 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 on the offensive side of the ball despite the fact that they have one all-star and that all-star is 22 years old been absolutely remarkable and by the way his number one skill set is his passing ability it's not even his scoring ability his passing ability is the thing that he does so well so shout out to you indiana number two ranked offense in the nba through seven games all right that's our nba news and notes let's turn it over to our friend juju talk sports to break down this wonderful and wacky james harden trade Ant let Josh score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys. They won't give a damn. They cheer playing games. Like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring, can bring Minnesota down. The Ant-Man. 
drives down. D D Lowe's got a kick. D Lowe's got a kick. Get out the Ant Man's twenty one and no no nothing can break. You can't break him down. Twelve years in the tank. Bed flops like a plank. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Two years in the game, and he's a household name. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. When it comes to Wiggins, they never learned. And then Jimmy Butler left all the kids burned. The only way they get talent is the top of the draft. Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee, the Ant Man's 21. No, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cat shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man Twelve years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Fifteen years away From headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby And Edwards is the man Oh, who do you think it hurt Daryl Morey to let go of more? PJ Tucker or James Harden? <laughs> oh man. The the band has all been broken up, right? The whole thing last year was that James Harden was paying back $14 million so that they could bring back PJ Tucker and Daniel House, who again, Daniel House got thrown out of the NBA bubble and they brought that whole squad back together. And I just can't believe that they they're going together. That's the funniest part, right? Daryl Morey said, if I'm going to get rid of James Harden, I'm going to get rid of every trace and element of that team that we tried to assemble from last year. That that is funny. But on the bright side for Philadelphia, at least they get Robert Covington back. I mean, Philadelphia's favorite son, Robert Covington, returns to the 76ers. So that's a world of difference right there, right? Isn't that a weird, like, fucked up way around this? Because, like, Robert Covington was one of those players that best embodied the process. Like, I believe he was an undrafted player. I believe he was on the original 76er team that lost uh, more games by percentage than any team in NBA history. I think Robert Covington was one of those original process players. And then when he got traded to Minnesota for Jimmy Butler, that was kind of the symbolism of like the process is over. We are going all in. We are trying to win a championship. And that was like three all in trades ago for the Philadelphia 76ers at this point. It's it's kind of wild how that worked full circle to now we've made it back to Robert Covington 
back on the Philadelphia 76ers after December of 2018, they made the Butler trade. It was like 2018, we're going all in. And now six years later, we're back to Robert Covington. (laughs) Okay, so which team do you want to tackle this first from the Clippers point of view or the 76ers point of view? I think the 76ers is more interesting, right? Because the Clippers, it's pretty self-explanatory where they're going. I think the 76ers are more interesting. So yeah, let's talk about like the trade details a little bit. So I mentioned Robert Covington. They also get Nick Batum, a 2028 unprotected first round pick, two sack round picks. Pick swap is involved in there as well. They did have to waive Danny Green as part of this. So they're going to be expected to have some younger guys get more minutes out there. I think the biggest winner out of all of this is... Tyrese Maxey through three games, he has looked really good. He's looked like he's filling in even better in many ways than James Harden is at this point in his career. So I think Tyrese Maxey, the fact that his development gets to continue in this new system that Nick Nurse is employing in Philadelphia is an absolute winner of this trade. Yeah, I think that Tyrese Maxey can be a legit legitimate number two on a very good team like it might just be a numbers game in terms of all-star so I don't like to say like he could be an all-star whatever because it's just like 12 players and there probably should be 15 all-stars in the NBA but he is a tier four player like he is someone who's not going to be a number one on a team that's good but he's a legitimate all-star caliber player but can I add though in the playoffs last year when the 76ers and Celtics were playing each other I was more scared of Tyrese Maxey whenever he had the ball in his hands than I was of James Harden whenever he had the ball in his hands. That's interesting because James Harden cooked the Celtics in the playoffs. He had two games. games. He had two games in there. You're right. He had that one 46 or 48 point explosion. Sure. But for more consistency throughout the course of the series, I thought Maxey was a more imposing or troublesome player for the Celtics. I don't think you're crazy. I mean, Harden is clearly a declining player and Maxi is what they hope to be an improving player. I mean, Maxi is entering that kind of like weird purgatory where it's like, hey, are you going to take the next step or is this going to be the player that you are? And this is, I would assume the biggest focal point Maxi is going to be in an offense around Joel Embiid. I mean, I don't know what team is really like opening themselves up to to like making Tyrese Maxey the focal point of their offense but he's their number two now like he is clearly their number two he's one of the better late round draft picks that has been developed and I think the reason this whole thing still has a puncher's chance for Philadelphia granted it's it's not much of a great puncher's chance at winning the Eastern Conference but the reason they'll continue to be competitive is because of Tyrese Maxey still being the number two. Uh, in terms of the trade itself, the 76ers obviously sold themselves short. The The deal at the end was, can we get Terrence Mann? And the Clippers said, no, you cannot have Terrence Mann. And, and Daryl Morey was trying to get any leverage that he could out of a trade, and he just couldn't find any teams that were willing to take the bait. And so at the end of it, he compromised by getting an additional protected first round pick from the Oklahoma city thunder. Like that seemed to be the thing that pushed it over the edge was that the Clippers sent a pick swap to OKC and OKC sent a protected first to the Sixers. So like that was the compromise they got at the end. It was like, well, we can't have Terrence Mann, So I guess we'll just take the original framework for the deal and add an extra protected first round pick in, which isn't great. But Terrence Mann's I mean, even though Terrence Mann put up 40 points in a closeout playoff game for the Clippers. Like Terrence Mann isn't something that should have been five months worth uh, or not five months, five weeks worth of stalling out on getting this trade done. So, I mean, the the 76ers lost the trade, but the 76ers also did the best they could given the circumstances. They had one single bidder. 
They had a player who was probably never going to come back and play for their team again. And ultimately they, they didn't get a deal that is worthy of what they were giving up at the end of it. And uh, I still think that even though they lost that deal, this was the deal that was always on the table. It was the only deal on the table and they got their 70 cents on the dollar for a player that if they hadn't, you know, maybe tricked him into saying that they would facilitate a trade by opting in, they might have lost James Harden for nothing. So I guess 70 cents on the dollar is better than losing James Harden for nothing. So some other players that were also involved in the trade I didn't mention, Marcus Morris and KJ Martin, a couple of journeymen in the NBA that have been around the block. Uh, So those are also added to the 76ers roster. I would argue, though, that this 76ers team, they're 2-1 and right now, they could have been 3-0 and if it wasn't for Dame Lillard making some clutch shots late against the Milwaukee Bucks. So they're not that far off. And adding more depth when you are already getting zero points from James Harden, he wasn't helping you while he's getting kicked off team planes. So James Harden was a non-factor on this team through the early point of the season already. So I think adding these pieces, adding more depth to this roster is a good thing. And this might not be the final version of the 76ers roster this season. Uh, Obviously, we've seen them being able to move off Danny Green and other veterans that they got real quick as well, moving off P.J. Tucker's contract with two years remaining on that. Uh, So Daryl Morey did say that if he couldn't get a superstar back, he would get the pieces to be able to acquire a superstar or acquire another complimentary piece for this team. So, you know, you think about some of the other teams that are struggling out there, uh, Spicy P out there in Toronto has been a trade target mention. Zach Levine from Chicago. Do you see the 76ers being aggressive uh, the rest of this year as, you know, they try and keep Joel Embiid happy because all eyes turn to Joel Embiid now. Yes, I don't think they'll just stash those draft picks for when Joel Embiid ends up leaving. I don't think that was the game plan at the end of this. If I remember correctly, so they walk away now with three first round picks and a pick swap, if I remember correctly. I think that's what they walked away with at the end of this deal. And those picks aren't really worth a ton right now. So I don't think they'll be able to get a player better than Tyrese Maxey in a deal, but I do think they could get a player better than Tobias Harris in a deal. If, if they package the, the the bundle of assets they have together, they could probably make Tobias Harris their fourth best player again, and that's probably the territory that they want to be in, but uh, it's, it's tough. I think that the 76ers, the bones of the team are pretty much set. Like, you're going to have Joel Embiid, you're going to have Tyrese Maxey, and you're going to have Tobias Harris for what I assume to be the foreseeable future. Like that seems to be the three players that are set on the roster. Everything else you can kind of tinker with on the periphery, but I don't really know if there's any other players that are really making a dramatic impact for the Sixers. The best thing I can say is that they have 10 players who are capable NBA players and capable of giving them significant minutes. I just, the thing that's going to get them a, a third best player better than Tobias Harris is packaging those draft picks to a team that is not looking to contend at the moment, like a team that has not an all-star, but kind of like a, 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 a second tier, third tier kind of player who could be a number three on the Sixers. I think that's more the market that they're in. All right, let's get some Clippers talk in here. So the Clippers acquire James Harden. They add P.J. Tucker to this lineup. The Clippers, we already know that they have two superstars and a player in rapid decline and Russell Westbrook on their roster. We've seen James Harden and Russell Westbrook be together a couple different times in the NBA already. Obviously, we saw them together with OKC Thunder. 
two players at d- very different points in their career. We saw them together in Houston. Why I, I and I think the logical concern that a lot of people are going to point out is James Harden, a very ball dominant player. And the counter would be, well, he led the league in assists last year. Well, I would say to that, there was a report that came out this offseason that one of the big things that was why James Harden wanted to return to Houston, aside from some 36 double Ds, was that James Harden wanted to be the guy again. James Harden wanted to be a league-leading scorer again in the NBA. So I don't think that that changes much, him going to the Clippers. So it kind of makes me wonder if he's also already setting himself to be unhappy going into this situation as well, because Ty Lu is one of the more well-respected coaches in the league. And I feel like he would be inclined to shut that shit down real fast if it was going to throw off team chemistry. Um, how do you think Ty Lu balances this? You know, again, you're getting a very ball-dominant, isocentric player, and you have to now get him to adjust around Kawhi, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, who's your high-energy guy. I love the joke that was made on Twitter that Russell Westbrook and James Harden teaming up again with the Clippers is basically like those people who agreed to get married if both were single when they turned 40. Like, that's kind of the situation that they find themselves in is like, ah, well... We're kind of on the last run of our career. Let's try it one more time and see what happens. Because people forget that when they were together in the bubble that Houston season, Russell Westbrook showed up to a team meeting and James wasn't there. And he was telling Mike D'Antoni, fuck it, start the meeting without him. And he's like, sorry, we can't start till James gets here. And James was like 15 minutes late. And Westbrook was like, yeah, no, nah, this this ain't going to happen. This This ain't the get down for me. And Westbrook got a one-way ticket to Washington for a season. And look, both of them are very different players at this stage of their career. James Harden knows the situation he's walking into. It's the reason why they're walking into that situation in the first place. But the reason that this trade happened is because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George wanted James Harden. But Paul George was going on a podcast and like kind of the idea that they wanted this to happen that they wanted to bring in James Harden. And by the way, that Norman Powell was untouchable in a trade with the the Philadelphia 76ers, which is funny to say that Norman Powell was untouchable in a deal to acquire James Harden. But that's because Norman Powell and Kawhi Leonard are like best friends. So like Kawhi Leonard is, is tinkering with this roster a little bit. And the fact that they now have a team that is built around essentially seven players now. It's Kawhi, Paul George, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Zubach, Terrence Mann, and Norman Powell. Like, that's the team that they're going to try and run it back with in the playoffs. And I think that that's a very good team. Like, James Harden being your third best player. And we saw it in Philadelphia last year. At times, James Harden was the third best player on that team. Like, he was probably better than Tyrese Maxey more often than not. But as being a distributor, you saw Maxey's numbers increase. You saw Tobias Harris have a season since 2021 which is really only two years, but the point still stands like they made the improvements that they needed with James Harden becoming more of a facilitator and leading the league in assists. So yeah, James Harden's got that ability in his game. And remember these, these guys are not going to be playing every game in the regular season. So like, it's going to be two of these guys playing at any given time between Kawhi and Paul George and Harden they're going to probably have two or three of them playing together at any given time in the regular season and when the playoffs roll around Draymond Green talked about it last year egos get checked at the door when the playoffs roll around like they, they go as far as Kawhi Leonard takes them when the playoffs roll around you say that the egos get checked at the door and 
I think part of the Clippers' problem with this might actually be the fact that they have they're probably their best player, Kawhi Leonard, at this point, doesn't really have an ego. James Harden has an ego. I kind of wonder if a more passive superstar like a Kawhi Leonard would almost get walked over by a guy like James Harden, who's still trying to prove to himself that he belongs in that upper echelon of NBA superstars. Because I think James still thinks he's that guy. You say he doesn't think he's that guy anymore, and he knows what he's getting into. I don't think that's the case based off some of the offseason reports that we saw this uh, season. I think James still believes that he can lead a team, that he can be one of the top five offensive scorers in the league again. And it kind of makes me wonder if Kawhi is going to be the type of person that would even say anything to him if that was not the case. Uh, Paul George, does he have that in him to like step up and tell James, no, this is how we got to do it? Hey, you mentioned Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has no problem stepping up to him. But Russell Westbrook is also in a very vulnerable position in the NBA at this point himself, too. He doesn't have the type of leverage to just go up to a, the guy that they just traded all these assets to acquire and just say, hey, I, I think you need to be the one taking a back seat at, in any form or point of the season. So, you know, I, I think that that's kind of concerning. I think a lot of pressure is going to be on Ty Lue, as I mentioned earlier, to be able to regulate this locker room. I would be careful with confusing Kawhi Leonard being quiet with Kawhi Leonard being passive because this is the Kawhi Leonard who forced his way to the Clippers, was out there recruiting Jimmy Butler and Kevin Durant years ago to bring the Clippers together, is a guy that Paul George, I mean, if you've heard Paul George on his podcast, he's talked time and time again about like Kawhi is different inside the locker room than he is outside when presenting to people like I I think Kawhi Leonard Kawhi Leonard when he first got to the Clippers had a leadership problem right the reason they didn't win a championship that first year is because they looked at Kawhi as the guy you're setting people for accountability you're doing this this and this and Kawhi didn't meet the mark and that was part of why everything fell apart in the bubble and why they were all sick of each other was that before the pandemic Kawhi was pulling up late to practice. Kawhi Leonard, he got uh, days off that other players didn't, and that wasn't communicated as to why. Like, he got special treatment up and down, and they've corrected that as the the couple years have gone along, and Kawhi being on the bench for a season when he tore his knee kind of changed some of that stuff, but I wouldn't conflate Kawhi Leonard being quiet with Kawhi Leonard being passive. Okay, how does he compare to like Kevin Durant as a leader? Because we also got to go down the list with James Harden and some of these situations that have blown up over the last couple of years. Again, we're talking about a player that's been on four teams in just, what, the last three years? So we have to talk about how does James Harden work around other players? We thought it was going to work with KD. We thought, hey, they're buddies. They'll make this work, but the Kyrie stuff just ended up tearing that situation apart. We thought it was going to work with Joel. Hey, they're buddies. They go well together. They gel together. But whatever truths or untruths were told behind the scenes with him and Daryl Morey blew that situation up. Um, Houston, we thought, hey, he was happy. He loved the lifestyle. He could have made it happen even with a rebuilding team. Didn't happen. He couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't stand the rebuild. So, you know, James Harden, you know, a lot of people are pointing at him as the potential problem. So I kind of wonder, like, can Kawhi be strong enough? Because he has to be strong enough. Is he stronger than Kevin Durant? We'll see. Kevin Durant, you know, we've seen him talk whenever he voices pleasure. But also, we've also seen Kevin Durant be satisfied to just say, hey, I just want to play video games and basketball, right? So that's what he said before. Yeah, it spoke weed. Kevin Durant also likes smoking weed. It's video games, basketball, smoking weed. That's Kevin Durant's trifecta. But for the James Harden aspect of it, like, 
James Harden knows what the get down is. Like he's been on what team now where he was the essentially number three in Brooklyn, like regardless of whether you thought he was good or bad, like Kyrie and Kevin Durant had the power within that organization. He's been a number three for a season there. He's been a number two in Philadelphia now. Like And James Harden, by the way, is the only NBA player to have made the second round of the playoffs each of the last seven years, despite the fact that in those seven years, he went from being MVP to number one, but not MVP level in Houston, to then a number three in Brooklyn, to then a number two in Philadelphia. Like he knows the get down at this point. I think it's a little disrespectful for people to be like, James Harden's going to blow this shit up once the playoffs roll around. Like James, that's not going to happen. He knows the get down, but the difference is going to be whether this team is even good enough with James Harden as their number three. And that's also assuming perfectly good health. Because remember, Kawhi Leonard averaged like 40 points a game for his two playoff games last year. And then he messed up his knee and Norman Powell was giving him 35 points in a playoff game. Okay, well, you know, we did the same exercise with the Sacramento Kings. Like, who do you think they match up with? I think a lot of people are going to point to that Phoenix matchup. And hey, good news for them. They got P.J. Tucker. He's going to stop Kevin Durant, right? The Kevin Durant stopper, P.J. Tucker. So they look like they're fine against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, but Denver's still hanging around. Uh, we talked about Sacramento last week. The Lakers, you know, as long as AD stays healthy and LeBron stays healthy, you know, they still have a puncher's chance in those games as well. How do you think they stack up against the rest of the West right now? Yeah, a lot of this is matchup based. I mean, regardless of whether they make the second round of the playoffs or the first round of the playoffs, like the Western Conference is a gauntlet this year. There are teams that might be I mean we saw it last year the seven seed in the west made it to the conference finals and the six seed made it to the second round of the playoffs with the Golden State Warriors last year so like seeding is a little bit out of the picture here matchups is what's more important I think the Clippers against any of those teams that are like five through ten in the western conference like Oklahoma City or Timberwolves or the Pelicans or even Memphis, who I know is off to a really rough start, and Steven Adams is out for the season. Like Against those teams, the Clippers should be able to win in a seven-game series. It's maybe not any given night they'll be able to beat those teams, but over seven games, when fully healthy, with the understanding Kawhi Leonard is the number one, they can beat those teams. I think where things get shaky for them is Denver, the Lakers, Phoenix, and I might even go so far as to say Sacramento. Like maybe Sacramento is right there in that same group. But if, if for example, we had a four versus five first round matchup this year between Sacramento and the Clippers, oh my Lord, that would be an amazing series. Like I guarantee you that series would go seven games. If you had a, a seven game series between the Clippers and the Warriors, I almost guarantee you that series would go seven games. Now I think the Clippers would be uniquely positioned uh, on a defensive side of the ball to play against the Warriors, which is hard to say because the Warriors have Steph Curry and Steph Curry just goes God mode at times. And he's just that good. But like that four through seven range in the West is probably where the Clippers stand right now. And regardless of whether they get to the second round of the playoffs or the first or they lose in the first round, because they happen to get the six seed and play the three seeded Denver nuggets or something like that. Like regardless of the point, I think that the Clippers are in that like four to seven range of teams in the Western conference right now. Who won the trade, the Philadelphia 76ers or Los Angeles Clippers weigh in, in the comment section, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle stay safe, happy and healthy. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.